I think that shale has a huge potential for our country. The figures are that if we recovered just 7% of the Boland shale reserves, that would pr provide us with gas in this country for 30 years. But we've clearly got to do a far better job at explaining and working with communities about the benefits and also talking frankly about the process. I think there's a huge amount of myths that are being put round in order to frighten people about shale gas extraction, whereas we can see in the United States it can be extracted safely and cleanly providing effective, low-cost energy, green energy for our homes and for our businesses and make our country more competitive at the same time. So fracking is back in the news. The process of gas extraction that Britain's Prime Minister David Cameron supports is not without its share of controversy. The latest episode is set in Lancashire, where local communities are taking the fight to the fracking industry. So what's wrong with fracking? Can the UK solve its dilemma of energy security, affordable energy and low-carbon energy without a future for fracking. We have a special guest on this podcast today from Friends of the Earth to speak to us about all of this. So stay tuned to The Shift. Welcome to The Shift a new podcast with conversations on the future of energy and climate. On today's podcast, we have Brenda Pollock from the Friends of the Earth. She is the regional campaigner for the Southeast region and she lives in Brighton, where this podcast is recorded. Brenda spoke at the University of Sussex on fracking and I followed up with her right after. And here's my interview with Brenda on this podcast. Brenda, thanks so much for joining me on this, on this podcast. Um, we are, of course, discussing the issue of fracking, and I understand you and Friends of the Earth, the organization you work with, um, are, are campaigning against fracking. So could you briefly summarize for me, what are the challenges with fracking and why are you opposing them? Well, the biggest issue for us is climate change, and um, fracking is aiming at extracting either oil or gas um, from shale layers of rock under the UK, and obviously that, that oil or gas is a fossil fuel and we need to leave known reserves of fossil fuel. 80% of those known reserves globally need to be left in the ground if we're to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. So chasing ever more difficult to reach oil and gas reserves under our soil is not a path we want to see the UK taking. Yeah, uh, but some might say that the UK government's recent announcement of cutting down coal is actually a positive move and is, 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 a, is a, uh, a statement that the government takes climate change seriously. So, but could you specify a little more as to how that plays out in terms of its impact on fracking? Are we going to see a double down of, of, of you know, more wells and more drills uh, across the country? Well, the unfortunate thing was, while there was good news on phasing out of coal uh, recently, um, unfortunately the government has said that what they see making up that gap is gas, and um, unconventionally extracted gas is not clean. It might be cleaner than coal, but it's not as clean as renewable energy from solar or wave or wind power. Um, and we want to see signals coming from the government that support those clean technologies and supports that industry and not an ageing fossil fuel dinosaur. Yeah, so I suppose this, this is an argument that's posed quite often, the question of unconventional forms of energy or, in this case, uh, uh, shale gas, or fracking uh, fuel, uh, as a bridge fuel towards an inevitable future which is driven by renewable energy. 
um, how do you how do you counter that argument? What do you say to well, that? Well, one of the things I say is that John Ashton, the former envoy for the UK on climate change, has said you can be in favour of um, doing taking action on climate change, or you can be fav- in favour of fracking, but you can't be in favour of both. Basically, it's, it sets us on a path to be using more fossil fuels, as I said. Um, and also, you know, this argument that it's a bridging fuel doesn't stack up in terms of the time scales. Um, we're not at the stage of extracting big quantities of gas or oil um, using fracking techniques in the UK. And that sort of industry isn't likely to come on stream properly for another 10, maybe 20 years. And we need to see action on climate change much sooner. And the government removing subsidy at too fast a rate from solar energy, um, ban- more or less banning onshore, new onshore wind um, power, is not sending the right signals out and it isn't going to help us in terms of uh, moving towards a low carbon future. Yeah. So um, one thing I keep uh, struggling with is sort of squaring the idea of growing needs and growing consumption. Um, There is an obsession, as we all know, around the world, economies around the world, of the idea of GDP growth. Uh, Ever since 2008 happened, there's been a greater rhetoric for the need for growth. Um, how do you square that against uh, what you say of stopping coal, stopping uh, fracking, stopping any forms of fossil fuels that we truly agree uh, causes climate change? But how do we still feed this growing consumption needs across the, across the country and, and the world? Mm, really good question. Um, one, one thing that I would say is that growth doesn't have to be unsustainable growth. And we need to see ways of clean growth in the future. And, you know, one that doesn't mean that we're dumping on nations that are in other parts of the world unfairly. So that's something we need to bear in mind. It's a global issue. Um, but we also can do far more. We're not doing enough in the UK or globally about reducing our demand for energy in the first place. So, you know, there's a lot more that can happen with technology that helps people monitor their energy use. A lot of people will have their hot water switched on all day, you know, 24 hours without thinking, oh, I'll just switch it on before I have a shower. There's a lot of unnecessary energy use, especially in, in, in the Western world, really, where people have the, can afford to be like live like that um, and using equipment and, you know, having sparkles in the home, leaving lights on, you know, all of that needs to be tackled. Um, and, you know, the, the, there were programmes from the government and councils to help people insulate their homes, but some of those are being cut. So we need to see much more action driving down the need for energy in the first place, which will help um, with growth and costs in the future. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did uh, recently was uh, use the DEX application on energy pathways. Um, and one of the sample pathways was uh, uh, put in by Friends of the Earth. Uh, and a bunch of other groups as well. And uh, that pathway does suggest uh, a 90% reduction by 2050 of, of carbon in the country. Um, and uh, surprisingly, it does not uh, include methods of geoengineering or uh, uh, does not rely on nuclear energy, for example, but um, but focuses largely on renewable energy. I suppose I'm just substantiating what you're saying, that there is possibility of, of yeah. uh, meeting certain projected goals of, of uh, energy consumption by 2050 through renewable energy? Um, absolutely. One of the things I would say is, you know, when we look at the technology and when we're looking at the arguments and how to go forward as a clean, you know, a clean, car- low carbon country, um, the thing I would always come back to is political will. 
Um, it's not just about money. It's not uh, just about uh, uh, well. It is about ideology actually and where you're coming from. And if our government supported a lower carbon path that you know pushed renewables at the forefront, we could have ninety percent of our, our our energy coming from renewable sources. We were on the path to doing better at this uh, before the government uh, decided to cut feeding tariff on solar too quickly, in our opinion, um, and to basically oppose onshore wind farm on the basis of, you know, a very low percentage but very vocal um, pe- people in the Conservative Party who don't like the look of wind turbines. You know, yeah. how bad is that to place yeah. a policy on? True, true. Um, going back a little to, to fracking, could you paint us a picture of the current landscape in the UK on fracking? We understand uh, the, the incumbent government is obviously pushing uh, for fracking, but could you paint a picture of who is opposing it, who is in favour of it, uh, and, and what are the intervention points that you as a campaigner see in affecting uh, uh, any policy change on fracking? Well, I think the, the key thing that, to note is that we, tr- we have been trying to change the policy on fracking for quite some time, for a few years. We've held off fracking in the UK since the, the first attempt at fracking in Lancashire in 2011-12. Um, but the policy arena is a very hard one to change. And I think what we're going to see is more protests and more villages being affected because the government is rolling out new licensed areas, new blocks of land, um, which we have a map on our website that shows that. Um, um, We think that it's going to play out more in local areas around the country, particularly in the north of England and Yorkshire and Lancashire, where we've seen um, companies coming in and wanting to do exploratory drilling. And in Yorkshire, there's a company called Third Energy that wants to drill 19 wells in a beautiful area of countryside in Rydale in Yorkshire. Um, And this uh, company, you know, is seeing, in fact, any company that's going in anywhere in rural parts of the UK are finding opposition from ordinary residents, Middle England people saying we don't want this on our doorstep, not just because of climate change, but because of the impacts from the extra lorries. Um, You know, they don't want to, they don't see it as necessary. And I think the more we see ordinary people rising up and being aware of what fracking is and opposing it, I think the government may have to change its policies at some point. But just getting pressure from NGOs isn't going to do it. In India, where I come from, uh, there's been a lot of conversation recently about uh, the troubles with crony capitalism, where you have a very clear nexus developing between uh, corporations, largely big oil and and big coal, uh, and and politicians. Uh, Do you see a a similar nexus here in the UK? And how do you you counter that? Um, And is that being challenged head-on in the first place? Well, there's no doubt that the government is listening to the oil and gas industry more than they're listening to the voters, residents and us. Um, so one has to assume that they've got the ear of government, the oil and gas industry. It's very hard to pin that down and to see it because it's of, often implicit and it's often maybe lunches or you know things yeah. that you can't actually find out about or see or hear. Um, and it, it, it's something that we, we live with. I'm sure it's been happening for hundreds of years. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the people that are in our government at the moment are people that are mixing circles with the, the industry reps. So, um, and the industry reps have got a huge budget compared to the sort of tiny amounts of money we have to run campaigns. So I think that, that um, it's a difficult one to expose or do anything about. But we just need to keep plugging away and, and showing what we can show to people in, in terms of any connections there are. 
um, but also just showing that some of the things that the industry say do not stack up. Yeah, true. And and going back to what you said earlier, and rightly said, that there is a need for people to have more information about what fracking is, what sort of impact it has for them to actually take a, a, a rational decision in terms of opposing it or not. Um, where does that that begin? Uh, given that the media landscape, as we understand, isn't really favorable, uh, where where does where do people get this this information from? Get this knowledge from? It's a really difficult one because for everything we say, the industry will probably say the opposite, yeah. and people will have to sort of do their own research. Yeah. I think talk if where people can talking to villagers who have had fracking companies come to their yes. village is one of the best things. I was at a talk last week in Surrey. And a resident from Balkan was talking about why they're so distrustful of the government, the regulatory system, and as well as the oil and gas industry, who, you know, the way they engage with their community did not, you know, endear them to, to the community. Most of the community were, you know, really upset about what happened there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And I think that, um, you know, people do need to do their own research. Obviously, we put information out on our website. We have leaflets in literature. We're accused of scaremongering sometimes by the industry. But if you look at their literature, which doesn't necessarily have evidence backing up that, that shale gas can be a bridging fuel, that it's cheap, um, you know, all of those sorts of arguments that the industry make, that they talk about a safe, uh, you know, great safe record of the industry in the UK. Well, there hasn't been a fracking yeah. industry for 200 years in the UK. But there's been conventional oil extraction, yeah. which is a completely different thing. Um, and so, you know, the spin that they put out is unfortunately something that we, you know, have find hard to counter. Um, but I think people do need to do their own research. This lady who was speaking on a panel with me last week in Surrey said, you know, because of the things she was hearing as, as an ordinary villager in Morgan, she thought she would look it up herself. And if you look at reports by MedAct, by ChemTrust, um, you know, look at, in fact, one of the big reports that have come out in the last year, which I think is important for people to look at, is New York State um, put a ban on fracking yes. about six months ago. And they, the, uh, the, the leader of, of New York uh, State um, and the representatives, the councillors over there, um, commissioned a huge study into health impacts from fracking and decided yeah. they themselves didn't want it near them. And I think there's evidence in there from across America that they use and got you know data that, that people can read and look at the um, summary of that because I think that's an important study that contributes to the debate. True, true, absolutely. And I think there are progressive examples, like you said, of Baltimore, of New York, of other places taking a stand against fracking. Um, going back to the example of Balcom, which uh, uh, incidentally is not too far from where we are right now, uh, where we saw protests, which I think sitting back back in India, I was hearing about this uh, protests in, in the UK um, in a place that I've never heard of. Uh, what is happening in Balcom right now? Well, um, you know, it's fairly quiet at the moment. Quadrilla, the company that drilled the well there and started doing testing for oil, have permission to come back and do further flow testing to see if the oil flows naturally or not. Um, they haven't come back because they've been a bit busy in Lancashire with other applications, but they have permission up until 2017, so they could come back at any time. So the villagers there are keeping an eye on that. But what what's happened is the villagers that were against this on, on their doorstep do go out and give talks and they're helping other communities that are facing similar um, companies coming in to wanting to drill um, and are helping them to explain what they did and, and giving them resources and information to show how they, they, they fought 
more or less a full off quadrilla at the moment for the moment we don't know if they're going to come back we hope not um and i i think that's that's the you know the uh the the next generation of campaigners are learning from the last generation so i think that's really important and then also in balkan they set up this um community interest company called repower balkan to try and do more about producing renewable energy because it raised their awareness so much about energy issues by having this on their doorstep um and they've created a community interest company to invest in solar panels and they've, they've built i think their first um set of rooftop panels on a farm near the village and their aim is to produce enough renewable energy that could power the whole village you know um uh, in the next 10 years i think yeah um all this is positive in terms of the fact that there is opposition from the ground on on uh, fracking and there's also positive solutions that people themselves are are putting uh, forward um for an average citizen in the uk uh, what can he or she do uh, in terms of engaging with this subject oh well it depends on where they live if they live in an area that's got a license um, for petroleum exploration or gas exploration um then they could go and look up to see if they are in a licensed area and they can do that on friends of the earth website or the uh office of gas and oil um the government's own website has maps um and then if they are in an, in an area where there's but there is potential for companies to come in they need to join forces with one of the local anti fracking groups there are many of those springing up you know over 2 2300 in the UK now um and then if they're not in an area where they're directly affected supporting groups that are affected by you know following them on facebook donating money um signing the petitions that people are asking for to be signed um and spreading information about it is really really helpful Yeah in your experience so far across the country do you see another balkan uh forming anywhere else right now Um that that's unknown because you know the factors that make something like that happen are impossible to predict in terms of the timing how far away it is from you know urban populations um we have seen uh, other protest camps in the midlands um at site called uh, upton um and we're seeing that that has happened it also happened at barton moss near liverpool there was a protest site there um and we are seeing that happening whether they will be as big as bulkham i think they possibly will be at some point if the government doesn't change course yeah so my final question before we end this is um uh why you personally uh invested in this uh why are you spending so much time giving talks and 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 fighting fracking across the country well interestingly enough um the talk i gave earlier today i was talking at the beginning about why i started working on this and my colleague who worked with residents in lancashire said to me that do you know that there's this thing called the weald basin in in sussex that's full of shale rock and you might be the next area that that's that these you know companies want to come to so you ought to look into it and that's when i started working on it but i i just passionately believe that the solution to climate change is not by pursuing more more fossil fuels um and unfortunately before i was working on fracking i was trying to help produce, promote more renewable energy projects and support them and give give evidence and help other people find the information about wind farms and solar energy projects and now that's on hold while I'm stopping trying to stop fracking which is you know not not my preferred option but you know it's something that if we allow fracking to take place 
it will undermine all that good stuff on renewable energy, which is what I'm worried about. And so personally, I'm invested in it. But the, the second reason that I work on it is the people who are have got it in their villages, the, you know, Catherine, Vanessa, people that lived in Balkan mm. that came to us and sort of wanted support. These are just ordinary citizens yeah. that have suddenly been given a you know a big fight on their hands who have never campaigned in their lives, and we at Friends of the Earth know all about campaigning. That's what we do, and we work alongside those communities. We you know we we give them advice and support. We plug gaps of you know when when they need plugging and help them with get, getting media coverage or um, you know giving talks and giving them resources and and helping them with planning advice and legal advice sometimes as well. And in Lancashire, we've represented some of the communities there with our, our legal advisor so you know we can do things that will help those communities but we need those communities you know in, in verse and they are some of the nicest best people i've ever worked with who are doing this you know trying to hold down jobs and families and doing this in their spare time so the little bit of help that we can give you know i think does go a long way yeah all right thank you so much brenda you're welcome so that was brenda pollock from the friends of the earth you can find the transcript of the interview below, along with a few links on Brenda and her work. The shift is recorded in Brighton at the University of Sussex. We bring researchers and thinkers from across the UK and hopefully the world to share their latest research on issues of energy and sustainability. Keep an eye out for more podcasts, subscribe and share it with the social links that you can find on this page. We would love to hear from you. If you want to co-host the show, help edit the podcast, set up an interview or improve the podcast in any manner, write to us on this website. Finally, I'll end this podcast with a short audio clip from Cassette Boy, an English electronic music and comedy duo and their remix of David Cameron's speeches. I found this on YouTube while researching for this podcast, and I hope you'll enjoy it. I will never forget watching George with his shirt off for the TV cameras. There he was, shouting his head off, talking about shale gas companies producing filthy energy and getting filthy rich. And of course, that's great. But today, I want a more simple message. If anyone thinks caring about people is what we are doing today, they are living in a fantasy land. Here's the deal. For the shale gas industry, they can build something under your home, um, quite dangerously, actually. <laughs> because this party is intensely relaxed about the future. Yes, the oceans can rise. But one thing will never, ever change. We don't dream of the green jobs, the wind and wave power. I say let's try and stitch up a family by building something less safe under their own home. Some people say your home is your castle. Well, we prove them wrong.